I don't know if you guys have ever had FOMO lately, right? The fear of missing out. Uh, I had that uh, today as I was pulling onto our campus. Our young adult community, they're all gone on a retreat today. It is fall break for uh, Hamilton County and other schools here with, uh, and in, within our radius here in Chattanooga. And uh, I've been getting um, text messages from different individuals all week about, hey, uh, we're not going to be there this week. We're not going to be there this weekend. We're, we're, we're going to be gone. And, and hey, we're going to go do this. And I heard people talking about their different fall break plans. And, and, and I just started getting this fear of missing out. Like, man, there, there's something that is, that there's something going on that I am not going to be able to be a part of. That there's something going to be taking place that I'm going to miss it because I am here in Chattanooga when everybody else apparently is gone. I am just happy to know that I'm not the only one that is still in town. It's great to see you guys. Yeah. And uh, if, if, you, if you have that fear of missing out, if you think, man, there, there must be something else going on, just think how the people feel that are gone right now and wondering what's taking place right here. Yeah. They're like, man. What's going on in East Brainerd today? I feel like I'm missing something. And for those of you who are watching online, you are. You're missing out on a great time that we are having here this morning with one another. We are so glad to um, have you here today. If, if because you're on break or retreat or whatever it might be and, and you have glided into our town and, and you have come to be here for our for our gathering this morning, we thank you for coming to be a part. And if you accepted someone's invitation, man, thank you for doing that. Thank you for agreeing to come and to be here and to, um, and to share. We really, we really appreciate that very much. Uh, well, we're in a series of lessons called BHAG. It's our, it, it's our series that is focused on our big, hairy, audacious goal. And our big, hairy, audacious goal is the idea that we're wanting to connect the next generation to Christ. We're, we're continually looking back to those who are going to be coming, who are behind us right now, who are growing up. And we want to be able to connect those individuals to Christ. Yes, we want to keep everybody else connected, all right? It's not like we're trying to jettison anybody, but we're constantly looking behind us, wanting to bring along those who are going to be the next generation of leaders, the next generation of, of, of individuals who are giving their lives over to Jesus Christ and, and kingdom servants. And so that's what we've kind of been focusing on over the last uh, few weeks. We're going to continue to do that together. Now last week we talked about how that we needed to develop a whatever-it-takes mindset. And we looked at some of the writings of the Apostle Paul and how specifically he said in 1 Corinthians 9 that he became all things to all people so that he might be able to, to win some. That was his goal. And we said that's the kind of mindset that we need to take on. This, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be able to share and connect the next generation with Christ so that future generations don't miss out on the grace of God. And so this week, we're going to focus in on another connection point. And if you're just now jumping in, this is actually lesson six. And so I would love for you to be able to go back, go on our podcast, and catch up with the other lessons that we have had that kind of lay a foundation for all the things that we're going to be discussing and talking about. For much of our relationship with Christianity, the emphasis, the emphasis has been on the validity of the biblical message. 
we were encouraged to discover propositional truths. Propositional truths of Scripture, and then we were instructed on how to go about defending those truths. And so like good students, we dove into the biblical record, and, and, and we used it as if it were our very own spiritual textbook. And we began to look for postulates and theorems and proofs that would guide our lives and that would frame our religious practices and that would sanctify our souls. And then with our Bibles all highlighted and with our souls overflowing with evangelistic zeal, individuals and denominations as a whole laid claim to possessing the proper understanding of this idea of truth. And so then what we began to do, we debated our truth and we wrote tracts extolling our truth and then we separated from others based on our truth. The pursuit of this truth served us and our religious forefathers, well, it served us pretty well during the, the modern times of the 19th and 20th centuries. But then the 21st century rolled around. The 21st century rolled around with its postmodern relativism and pluralism, and suddenly we, look, we looked around and there were many truths out there. There were a lot of truths, and each became as valid as the other. And so then within our society, there was no need to debate or to separate because, well, you could have your truth and you could have your truth and you could have yours and I would have my truth. Everybody can have their own truth, kind of like watching Oprah. You get truth, you get truth, you get truth. Everybody gets truth. It was nice. At least that's what we were told. And so now culture can define truth any way that it wants to. Well, then that runs up against many of us that grew up again during a time where there was this search for the one truth. And then when you found that truth, you felt like you needed to hold on to it and to protect it and to be able to share it, to defend it, and to speak it. But now the way that culture defines truth, it makes the pursuit of truth not as important in society as a whole. Now, look, the way that our culture defines truth versus the way that truth is presented in Scripture is beyond the scope of this particular series that we're doing, but it speaks to the very issue that we're attempting to address. Here's why. Over the last 30 years, fewer people have been asking about the truth or validity of Scripture and the Jesus that that Scripture presents. Instead, and this is especially the case among younger generation, the questions center not on truth, but on goodness. Is Scripture good? Is church good? Is Jesus good? You see, since truth is viewed as relative, that means, again, that you've got your truth, you've got yours, you've got yours. Everybody can have their own truth. Since truth is viewed as relative, more and more now people are unconcerned with the validity of Christian doctrines. But they are instead hyper-focused on the pragmatic outcomes that those doctrines produce. How are your doctrines or your beliefs making a difference? That's what the next generation is asking. What kind of difference is the belief that you have actually making, not just in your life, but in the life of society? 
And then how will your teachings at your church make a difference in my life? How are your beliefs helping to change thoughts and actions? How are you good? Jim Davis and Michael Graham, in their book, The Great Dechurching, point out that people are asking more pragmatic, existential, and aesthetic questions as postmodernity, secularism, and other complex sociological, economic, political, psychological, and technological forces have them increasingly fractured culturally, relationally, and individually. That's a long sentence that they put together right there. But basically, they're trying to say that in our complex society in which we live, the questions that people are asking now are different than the questions that were often asked within a religious context during previous generations. People are looking, they say, for a better self, a better city, a better country and world, but no one seems to have the answers. Not even church. Now why is that? Well, for the last 20 years, research has consistently shown that young adults both inside and outside our church walls, view Christianity through a negative lens. They, they have come to a, a belief that, that Christianity on a whole, because understand, truth is relative. It's not about one group having more truth than another. They, they don't necessarily, individuals don't see a distinction between, well, here's the Baptist truth and the Methodist truth and the Church of Christ truth and the Catholic truth. It's the Christian truth. It's kind of how it's viewed. And over the last 20 years, what has been shown is that that truth has come with a negative connotation. And so Christianity, oftentimes in polls, individuals, especially of the next generation, say that Christianity is anti-homosexual, judgmental, hypocritical, fake, and irrelevant to life. Now understand, when, when you're sitting here amidst the Christian faith, and when you hold to something that maybe you look as being Christian or biblical truth, it is difficult to hear that others are criticizing the truth that you hold. And it can be easy to dismiss such criticisms to immaturity and just the passions of youthfulness. But I think we would do well to listen because perception is reality. And the reality of the last 30 years is that millennials and Gen Zs have rejected God's propositions, God's truth, because they have witnessed the actions of God's people. And in their view, the actions have not been good. You understand what I'm saying? That they are basing their judgments not on the propositional truths that many of you came to faith believing and perhaps being converted to. But more and more now, individuals are basing their judgments on Christianity as a whole as to whether or not Christianity is good for something. And they're basing that based on the actions of God's people. Another quote from another author, Diana Butler Bass, in her writing, Christianity After Religion, she noted that young adults have, ev have evidently heard that Christianity is supposed to be a religion about love, forgiveness, and practicing what Jesus preached and the faith that should give meaning to real life. They are judging Christianity, listen to this, 
They are judging Christianity on its own teachings and believe that American churches come up short. Thus their discontent about what is may reflect a deeper longing for a better sort of Christianity, one that embodies Christ's teachings and a life in a way that makes a real difference in the world. The next generation is not concerned so much with the propositions as with the person. They are concerned with goodness. And if we are going to connect the next generation to Christ, then we must be willing to become incredible do-gooders. Now, I know that that often has a negative connotation, right? But that is what we are going to have to become as followers of Jesus, individuals who are truly known for our goodness. And look, I understand that goodness can be subjective. In fact, members of our society now measure goodness against their own inner truth. Now again, um, I do this ever so often, just kind of see the audience that we have. How many of you in here um, are over the age of 50? Probably a good many since a lot of people with kids are, are gone right now. Yeah, okay, look. We, we got people 50 and above that, that, that are here. Now, this is something for those of you who are 50 and above that, that might be kind of interesting as you listen. And some of you were like, I really don't want to put my hand up. Some of you surprised people. You raised your hand and they were like, you are really over 50? Really? Some of you should have raised your hand and you didn't. But if you are over 50, look, you grew up in a time when external authority dictated your beliefs and actions. External authority. Respect was given to clergy. In church. By the way, did you know that October is Pastor Appreciation Month? Just, just asking if you did. Because there was a time when there was respect that was given to clergy, to church, to government, to a teacher, to the family unit, and to Bible. External sources of authority. But, but now, today, it is an inner authority that now dictates who a person is and what a person does. Inner authority, it is your own feelings, your, your own beliefs. Those things trump any external guidance or directive. And so now humankind has a law unto themselves, or is a law unto themselves. And everything, including goodness, is measured by a person's own inner beliefs about what's right and wrong. There is no longer a, a set standard that goodness is measured against. Goodness is in the eye of the beholder, depending on the inner authority and the belief that the individual has. And that is a totally different way of approaching life than those of us who are over the age of 50, the kind of society that we were raised up in, and the mindset that we have when it comes to deciding what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. We look for an external standard, but the next generation is looking internally at that internal standard in measuring everything against their own understanding of right and wrong. That's where we are today. And so, it is why now there are many within our society who consider church to be immoral. Now follow me here. There are members of, of the next generation, and even those of, of, the, of the older generations now, that consider church to be immoral because of Christianity's traditional stance on sexuality and gender. Inner authority 
an individual's own feelings and beliefs trump any external guidance or directive. And so today, in our culture, goodness is subjective. So individuals look at a group like, like us, look at a group of disciples of Jesus and make determinations on whether or not we are good based upon their own understanding of what goodness actually is. It's a moving target. But just because it's a moving target, it cannot prohibit us from taking aim. So what do we do? Well, the first thing for us, I believe we need to make sure we need to understand that we need to be learning goodness by watching Jesus, okay? We need to be learning goodness by watching Jesus. Now, I understand that is an external authority, and that for those of the next generation, that, that, is, that, can, be, that can be difficult to kind of process and hear that we learn goodness by looking to someone else. But for us as a disciple, that has always been the case. The disciple looked at the teacher for the guidance and for what is right and for his wrong, what is wrong. Do you remember in Acts 10 when Peter is talking to Cornelius about who Jesus was and what he was like? He said, well, you know, you know, Cornelius, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he, Jesus, went around doing good. That's how Peter summed up the life of Jesus. He went about doing good. Jesus did good things. And so we need to watch Jesus and then do likewise. And, but here's my belief. I think that, that, by, that by you and I, by, by, by we watching Jesus and by, by looking at his goodness, by observing what he did, that Peter says, well, these were the things, this is good. He was good. He did good. I think if we just focus, and I'm just going to focus this morning on one of his do-gooder ways, I believe that it will make a big impact on the next generation. You see, there was something that Jesus did that was good that even the next generation says is good. Even the next generation, not, not even individuals who look to Jesus and say, that's my standard. Individuals who look internally and say, this is what goodness is. There was something that Jesus did that was actually this next generation would say, well, that was good. And we need to be able to incorporate that into our lives. The millennials and Gen Z's generations, more than any others before them, are a mosaic of various backgrounds and beliefs. They are the most diverse generations that we know in our American culture. And they will not accept Jesus if his disciples refuse to accept them. Let me say that one more time. These next generations that are a mosaic of various backgrounds and beliefs will not accept Jesus if his disciples refuse to accept them. We cannot have an us versus them mentality. Remember, it's the way a person acts, not the positions a person holds that gets their attention. So in order to connect the next generation to Christ, we must be willing to accept the next generation into our lives. Just like Jesus accepted seekers and sinners and young and old and sick and healthy and men and women, we have to be willing to accept those who are coming up after us into our lives, not just within the life of the church body, but into our own lives that we are enjoying living each and every day. And I know that, 
I know that last week we said that we needed to be willing to do whatever it takes. But for some of us, this is one of those things that I will do whatever it takes, but I won't do that. We talked about how that can be an attitude sometimes we have, that, that we have a that, something that we just, we just can't do that. So why is it hard, or why do we have a hard time accepting others? Well, I think it's because we confuse acceptance with approval. And some of us are so afraid. We're so afraid of being seen as approving of something that is not socially acceptable or scripturally acceptable. And because we are afraid of the way that, that we are going to be viewed or, or by doing something that we feel like is not going to be right or good, then we are very standoffish. Friends, we can accept someone without approving of their lifestyle or their choices or the direction that their lives are headed. A person may be doing something totally contrary to the word of God. That external standard, that external source of authority. A person could be doing something totally contrary to the word of God, but we can accept that individual as a person of great value to God person of great value to God without approving of the sin that he or, or she may or may not be involved in. Because after all, isn't that how God has treated us? Or have you forgotten that you too are a sinner saved by grace? Have we forgotten? I think that's why the Apostle Paul reminded Christians living in Rome, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. You see, at our job or school, there are individuals whose beliefs and whose actions that, that we just don't agree with nor condone. But can we not come to see them as unique creations of God with a soul of infinite worth and value? In a day and age where we are dividing along all kinds of different lines, wouldn't it be great to be known as a group of people who because of goodness says, I will accept you. You don't have to wear my jersey in order to sit at my table. You don't have to be a part of my team. You, 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 don't, you don't have to see things through my lens for, for, for me to be able to have a conversation with you. you. You don't have to agree with me politically. You don't have to support the same football team that I do. You, 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 don't, you don't have to have had the same background. You, you don't have to have the, even the same view of Scripture. I can still accept you because you have infinite worth and value. Can we stop judging others against our life and our morality and begin seeing them as, or just as, just as we see ourselves, individuals in daily need of God's mercy and grace? You see, the more that we are able to cultivate an attitude of acceptance, then the more opportunities we will have to share Jesus with the next generation. We must remember that church is a community of imperfect people who are being made perfect by the grace of God. And that church is for people who do not have it all together or have all the answers or even understand the questions. The next generation needs to hear that it doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where you are now. And that God does accept you as you are, but that he wants you to look more like Jesus Christ. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote to a Christian community, and he urged them, and I want you to listen to this, he urges them to do something that I don't think you would expect 
him to say to Christian people, if we receive this message, all of a sudden we'd be looking around and wondering, all right, now who exactly is Paul talking to, right? Listen to what he says. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you also must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other because you have taken off your old self with its practices and you have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Those are Paul's words to the Colossians. You can read it. Colossians chapter 3, start in verse 5, read through verse 10 and read it and don't miss this. Paul is telling Christians that they need to be more like Christ. He is telling church people not to lie. He's telling church members to stop cursing. He's telling church members to stop allowing their anger to take over them. He's telling church people, people who are part of the body of Christ, to stop giving in to their lustful desires. Church people are being told this. Why? Because church people struggle with displaying Christ's character. And if church people struggle with displaying Christ's character then why should we be surprised when those outside the church have the same struggles? The question is, will I allow the next generation to struggle beside me? Will you allow the next generation to struggle beside you in their sin, in their understanding of Scripture? Will you allow the next generation to to wrestle with their questions about God and, and wrestle with, with their questions about righteousness and, and, and wrestle with their questions about goodness right beside each of you. The Gospel of Mark tells us of a leper that once came to Jesus and, and begged him on his knees. If you're willing, he said, you can make me clean. The leper did not have any doubt about whether or not Jesus could make him clean. He just doubted whether or not Jesus would want to make him clean. You see, religious leaders of Jesus' day chose what we might call a strategy of isolation. Lepers and Gentiles and tax collectors and even women, all of these were to be avoided like the plague. They would not eat with, talk with, work with, or even look at them. There was even one group of rabbis called the bruised and bleeding rabbis. The bruised and the bleeding rabbis, they committed themselves to never look at a single woman. They figured this was the best way to beat lust. If they thought they saw a woman out of the corner of their eye, they would close their eyes until they felt like that she was out of sight. And this caused them to forever be running into other people and objects and buildings, hence the title, the bruised and bleeding rabbis. And throughout religious history, people have been attracted to this strategy of isolation avoiding people who don't have the same beliefs, people who practice sinful practices and live in, we then live in a religious quarantine with our own individual truth. The problem is when we do this, we begin to view the world as us versus them. And the quarantine becomes a greenhouse for the most destructive of sins. And we begin to develop pride and exclusivism 
and self-righteousness. And in isolation, love dies. And humility and compassion and generosity of spirit, they all suffocate because all we can see are just ourselves in the mirror. In Jesus, I think God made it clear that he has forever rejected the strategy of isolation. Jesus was a rabbi. And a rabbi's job was to make sure that the law, that their truth, was understood and followed. The man that came to Jesus was a leper. And it was a leper's job to avoid all people. That's what the law had told them, especially the rabbis. And a rabbi was the last person that a leper actually wanted to see. The rabbis prided themselves on being unapproachable. They thought of themselves as being so close to God that common sinners, lepers, the unclean, should not be allowed to get too close. And the more religious that a rabbi became, the more unapproachable the rabbi was. And this is the problem that has faced our church culture here in America throughout, throughout the last century. We know it's important to be holy. So we begin to try and depress people with our theological knowledge, our moral purity, our, our truth, to reinforce our own sense of spiritual superiority. The only problem is, the more that we have pursued that, it didn't take long before we became unapproachable. Concerned about condoning, we became uncaring. And more and more individuals began to grow up in our society and they looked at Christians and they looked at the way that Christians were living and they heard our truth, but they did not see our goodness. And so they said, I don't want to be a part of you. And yet Jesus was just the opposite. Jesus was good. Jesus was eminently approachable, not just with lepers. This happened on a regular basis with Jesus, with prostitutes and tax collectors and Gentile pagans. People who were nothing like Jesus actually liked Jesus. And I think one of the most diagnostic questions that I can ask myself is, am I becoming more or less approachable? And as we go through this, and as we look to see how do we accomplish this big, hairy, audacious goal, we need to be able to look at ourselves individually and congregationally and say, are we able, or are the young generation, the next generations, are they able to feel like that they can approach us? Can they talk with us? Can they have lunch with us? Can they worship with us? How available am I to the people in my little world? You can break it down even smaller. Can my spouse say anything to me? Can my children say anything to me? Do I sometimes pause to put a hand on the shoulder of the people I work with just to let them know, hey, I'm glad that you're here? Am I getting better at listening to people without judging them? Am I becoming more accepting? You see, when we value people and when we value relationships and when we value grace, we give the freedom for others to approach us and we are filled with indignation when we witness the exclusion of another human being. Jesus was indignant, Mark says in chapter 1. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Friends, Jesus touched the leper before he healed him. Don't miss that. He touched the leper before he healed him. He touched the leper while the leper was still 
unclean. And this would have scandalized anyone who watched because to touch a leper was to be regarded as unclean yourself. Jesus did not need to touch the leper to cleanse him, but the man needed Jesus' good touch. And I think the next generation needs ours. They need our good touch. They need to know that we accept them. They need to know that we love them. They need to know that we want them to be part of our community, to share bread and cup. A lot of them have been told because they have seen the, they, they have seen the paper up on the coach's wall and they have looked for their name and they haven't found it. And a lot of them have been told, you can't be a part here. You can't share bread and cup with us until you're like us. Until you believe like us. Until you live like us. Until you worship like us. And for some reason, it seems like that more and more within our Christian communities have forgotten. Have forgotten that when Paul wrote to the churches, he wrote to Christians who struggled. Christians who questioned. Christians who were not always faithful. Christians who were not always sure. And we need to remember that today so that we can invite others to come, not just here to this space, but to come into our lives and struggle with us. When we're able to do that, we will take one more step closer to being able to connect the next generations to Christ. Will you pray with me that that would happen? Father, we do give thanks this morning for our time together today to be reminded of your goodness. And we shared that together in bread and cup in our time of thanksgiving. And I hope that that bread and cup will, will be what is the symbol of our lives here during this next week, that we will remember we remember the acceptance that you have given to us and we will extend that same type of acceptance to others. And we do that, Father, out of a love for, for those who are around us and out of a desire to be able to share Jesus. Father, help us to remember that Jesus, he touched the leper before he healed him. That, that, he, that, he, that he touched him even though, even though that there was a consequence and even though that, that others were not going to be pleased with it and even though there was going to be discussion and there was going to be rumor and there was going to be innuendo but he knew that the man needed the good touch will you allow us to do the same this week will you allow us to be your goodness here and will you allow it to be shown in the way that we bring healing to the lives of those that we work with people in our homes people that, that we see in our in our different social groups and the people that we are seeing at restaurants and people that we see at the gym. Father, we all struggle. Each of us has our own even secret sins that we don't want anybody to know about, but Father, you know, and yet you accept us still, continuing working on us through your spirit so that we might look more and more like your son. And we offer that same opportunity to others. Father, the next generation, they, they are looking, they are looking and they have questions and they wonder 
Is there any goodness still in this world? Allow us to be the goodness that they see. Allow it to begin with a touch. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Church, as we sing, thank you. Um, as, we, um, as we sing and encourage one another this morning, maybe you need to, to speak with someone privately. We're going to have one of our elders in our prayer room that is just off of our lobby. If you'd like to go and have a conversation there, you can. If you'd like to be baptized into Christ this morning, we'd love to be able to celebrate with you. We'd love to be able to celebrate with you and to welcome you into the family of faith that is here at East Brainerd. Whatever your need might be, we encourage you to let it be known. Let's stand and give God praise today.